Hi, this is Joe Stout, and you're listening to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast. What's going on, millionaires? You're listening to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast, episode 143 on creative ways to buy short-term real estate. What's up, millionaires? My name is Joe Stout. I am a real estate investor from Catonsville, Maryland, right outside of Baltimore. Um, you can expect from today's episode just a little bit about my journey, uh, how I got to my mindset, what I think is so important, and um, you know, make sure you are locked in with us on the Million Dollar Mind Podcast today. So welcome back to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast, the world's most trusted podcast for passion and attraction. You're in the right place if you're here looking for money, making tips and tricks for living a more passionate life. So here we have the man of the hour, Joe Stout, as you heard from him a little bit earlier. He is a real estate investor, short-term rental and flipper uh, investor, uh, also a bigger pockets enthusiast, right? We, we, you guys may be familiar a little bit with Brandon Turner. I mentioned a lot about Brandon Turner in previous episodes. Uh, and, and Joe is a huge fan of the bigger pockets podcast community. And I'm pretty sure that's, you know, that's to one testament of to the success that he's seeing right now in real estate. Uh, and a little bit of a fun fact, man, I, as you and I were just talking, Joe, uh, congratulations again on that huge deal you just secured and getting the financing for your next Airbnb purchase. So let's let's start off with that. You know, what were all the steps that kind of led up to you finding the deal, getting the financing and later, you know, finally being approved for it and to now being able to uh, soon cash flow uh, huge uh, on, on your next uh, your next um, project. For sure, man. Well, this started way back in March 2021, actually. Um, I was going for my first deal. I met with this uh, property manager down in Daytona, Florida via Zoom. And uh, we were just talking things over. And he goes, hey, man, there's this $4.25 million uh, complex. And this is for my first deal, right? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, that sounds awesome, right? One deal could set me free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm looking at this with him and then we built that relationship. Obviously that didn't work out for my first deal. Um, you know, come to now, um, you know, I did my, my couple of rental units, I did my flip and now I've got a little bit of money on me and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I can get into the real cash flow, which is short-term rentals. So basically how I found this deal was, uh, that same property manager became an agent down in Florida, um, I had let him know, hey, man, look, I'm real interested in vacation rentals. I got the money ready. I've got the financing ready. Um, Let's do it. So he sent me the deal at like 10 o'clock last night. He's like, hey, I got this deal. I don't know if you saw it, but you need to buy it. Right. So, uh, you know, the last deal I tried to go in on with him Mm -hmm. um, pretty much lost out on it when asking price. So this time uh, I said, hey, man, I'm not playing games. Let's go $70,000 over asking and uh, let's get a serious, let's get a deal done, man. You know what I mean? I'm just, I know the numbers are going to work. So basically what happened was um, he said to put an offer in, you got to have pre-approval. So mm-hmm. I have been listening to a lot of Avery Carl on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, mm-hmm. She talks a lot about short-term rental. and you know, she has something called the short term shop, which is really, really cool program. Um, she's an agent. 
but she teaches people how to self-manage, um, things like that. She's got some markets. Um, the market I'm, I was buying in da- Davenport, Florida wasn't one of them. So, uh, I looked to my agent here and, um, I got on the phone with her mortgage people. So mm-hmm. I called the mortgage shop up and, uh, basically said, Hey, I'm looking to get a second home down in Davenport, Florida. And that's how I kind of secured the financing. Um, I could go into a little bit of detail if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as far as like the, um, you know, the requirements that you had to meet and, you know, just kind of things that you had to prep for that, that would, that would be lovely. Yeah, sure, man. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of, um, busy work, nothing difficult. So Mm -hmm. pretty much what they have you do is, uh, they run your credit. Of course, they do a hard inquiry on your credit report. So your credit does take a very, very small hit of like four points. And, uh, basically if you have a primary residence, you got to fill all this information out. Um, it's not too much. I don't mean to sound like that, but pretty much, you know, how much, uh, do you pay monthly for your home? Things like that. Do you have any rental income coming in? Um, you know, one of the really good gems I did learn from this experience was if you do have rental income coming in, like I do, it needs to be for at least a year or Mm. they won't, um, qualify that as a, Mm. a source of rental income. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was a surprise to me. Um, you know, for no particular reason, I did six month um, lease agreements with my tenants. So I actually did not qualify, um, which was a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we were working through that, ended up, um, I suggested, hey, why don't we do a DC, DSCR loan? Um, I wish I could tell you what that stands for, but my mind's blanking right now. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Basically, it's it's based on the potential gross income of your short-term rental. So uh, when they're looking at the property, you know, you give them the numbers and they're like, okay, that'll work. Or, okay, no, that's not good of a deal enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty much, you know, I, I gave her the information and um, she said, yeah, you can do it. It's a 15% down payment. So it's better than the 25% uh, investment by far. So mm-hmm. um not as traditional. So I went ahead and, um, you know, sent my information over, you link all your bank accounts. Um, I'm not exactly sure the credit score requirement, but I know it was, you have to have higher than 660 for sure. Yeah. And I always say like, well, cause you know, when I was uh, back working in the, in that credit industry, you know, we've even had a couple of episodes where I always stress, you know, to have more than like a 680, but you definitely want to kind of be in those 700s to like, just kind of increase your eyes even more. So I'm de- I definitely, you know, definitely get, you definitely want to have more than a 660. Right. Yeah. And guys yeah. check out, uh, Graham Stefan on YouTube. He's got some great tips for building your credit and all that. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when it comes to like short-term rentals, Joe it is, I, I know so many people have the understanding that when they hear short-term rentals, the first thing that is going to come to mind is Airbnb. Uh, and it turns out, you know, for this deal, you know, your plan for it is, you know, Airbnb. But are there some other strategies that you know of or that you have done in the past uh, as far as short term rentals is concerned? Like, what are some other creative ways that you can have a short term rental property uh, and maybe not use it for Airbnb if that exists? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's Verbo. Um, that's the same as Airbnb, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. And you can actually link your calendars together. So it's not like, oh, shoot, I just got a booking on Airbnb. Let me go X this out on Verbo. Like, 
it's very easy to do. They have integration tools. Um, yeah, there's there's some other strategies. So the first one I would say is uh, the short long term rental, which is like a thirty month. It, it's a thirty day month to month lease, basically that you do with your tenants. But you can charge up a little bit higher. You are furnishing the place fully. Uh, you know, paying for the internet, electricity, all the utilities. So um, there's that way. And then uh, also, you know, you can do the rental arbitrage if you didn't even want to, you know, buy something in Davenport, Florida, but you saw a really nice property that's already fully furnished and you just want to rent. Um, and then, you know, make sure it's okay with the owner, of course, like the mm-hmm. landlord. Um, this is called subletting. Also, there's a million <laughs> different ways people call it. I call it arbitrage. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, you can take say, hey, Kai, I want to rent you know, your house for 1200. And then basically, you know, you're getting 250 a night for 28 days, end up making $6,000. I pay you your 1200 and, and take the rest. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. cool strategy. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of really, uh, cause I'm familiar with it as well. And I like to, uh, the selling point for, you know, some landlords, because you're right. Not everyone will be okay with that. Not everybody likes the idea of you making money off of their investments, their properties. But you got some landlords who, you know, really don't want to get into property management, don't want to deal with the stress of like, you know, having to get a whole bunch of different tenants. So you can work out a deal with them where, you know, you're guaranteeing them maybe a 24 month lease, you know, paying slightly above market rent. You know, if the market rent is like 1200, you can say, hey, I'll pay you 13, 1400 a month. Um, and you know, you're guaranteed, you know, that every month for 24 months and you don't have to worry about upkeep or any of those things, you know, we pretty much take care of it. So that's, that's a, that's a win-win for, for everybody. They get their 1400 every single month guaranteed, they get passive income and you get to make some profit out of a business, of course, that you work for, you know, getting the rentals and things of that nature. So I'm familiar with arbitrage and I definitely like that term more than subletting and subleasing because. At this point, so many people have so many like negative connotations to it. Uh, so I'm with you on that one. And for as far as the 30 day, uh, 30 day uh, lease options, the month to month, that sounds like more so you're targeting like uh, business professionals, like an extended stay type of uh, of gig. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, traveling nurses, um, you've got actually, this is the coolest one I heard. And my mom actually called me at work and told me about this yesterday she goes hey joey um you know there's these teams that go down my brother he's a um he's a big time basketball player down in baltimore right now mm-hmm. and they're headed to indiana this summer for a, a tournament mm-hmm. going to be there for a while you know if he wins we stay even longer and uh that's also you know like a two week three week thing um you know i don't know what the actual regulations are for that. But I think, um, I don't think it would be any problem. I think, and you could probably charge uh, the average nightly rate for Airbnbs in that area as well for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You definitely could charge the the nightly rate or probably even give them a discount if they're like paying in bulk and, and staying for some time, however it works. But uh, that that's interesting. So Joe, where where did your journey in real estate start? Like what is what was the beginning of your journey? How did you get into real estate, um, and, and where did you find your your entry your entrance? Where did you find your way in? Man, so I'll start at the very beginning, right? So I was 18 years old. I had no idea what real estate is. I just I put on my goal sheet by the age 24, 
I'm going to have at least one rental. Like, I didn't even know what it meant, right? Well, fast mm-hmm. forward, it's 2020, it's COVID time, right? I'm locked up. Like, I'm like, what am I going to do to make money, extra money right now? I've got a big opportunity. I just don't know what to get into. So uh, what I started doing was flipping things on Facebook, like nonstop. <laughs> I did that for like six months. It got high ratings on Facebook. Everything was good. I was shipping stuff out, right? It was a whole lot of work. And I, and I did the math. Guess how much per hour I was making? What, what like 500 no three dollars man it was <laughs> it was not worth it so i'm like i'm putting in all this work right like i'm so tired my girlfriend's mad at me she's like joey i can't live like this i'm like look i get it relaxed so mm-hmm. what i started doing i'm like okay okay my friends started going to the casino a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. so i started going to the casino a lot I started loving blackjack, right? And I'm not advocating this for anyone on your show or anything. This is just how I got started. Right. So I'm at the blackjack table and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm going to go home on YouTube and learn some more, right? Um, There's like this channel called Blackjack Apprentice, okay? And they teach you how to count cards. So I just, I bought everything the blackjack tables have i set it up i would practice hours and hours a night um obviously coming to the conclusion look this is fun but it's a horrible way to make money like it's just it's not legit you know what i mean Mm so uh my brother he starts a lawn mowing business and this is in um 2021 now and he's like hey joey like uh Actually, he didn't ask me for any type of help. He just told me what he was doing, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I said, okay, um, you know what? Let me help you out with the pricing, man. So I'm starting to make all these calls. Um, you know, I'm calling True Green. I don't know if you know that company. I'm calling a bunch of companies. I'm like, dang, I like that he's starting his own business. Like, I should start my own business, man. That's me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, grew up like a dog walker, had my own dog walking business. I'm like, dude, this, that's me. So, um, I got into real estate and I'm like, all right, I, I went online. I just started typing up real estate rentals and stuff. Bigger pockets comes up. So I got real into that. I started listening to a podcast a day and, uh, it started with literally, I would just force myself do one thing for real estate, learn one thing a day, like make sure I'm doing it every single day. And Brandon Turner, actually taught me that so mm-hmm. just doing that doing that well um my mom sends me something on facebook and it's this lady that was one of my friend's moms growing up you know it was it was like an acquaintance um their mom and basically they're selling their house but they want to do it off market and i'm like i don't know what off market means but i know it's good so i i go ahead and, and hit them up i hit them up every night i said i want your house i want your house i want your house Apparently they had nine different offers. Okay. Like Mm. I'm going hard, just saying, you know, I want your house. And then I got a little overzealous and I said, I want your house for $262,000. And that caught their attention. Like this guy is for real. So I started sitting down with the seller and all, and uh, pretty much we came to an agreement after a lot of me, like, uh, nickel and diming, trying to get the price down. Never do that. <laughs> Anybody listening to this, um, 
came down to it. I secured my first property. It was a two unit property, um, a duplex, but a top and bottom duplex. So um, built it with some tenants. Um, You know, that process was nerve wracking, putting tenants in the property. You don't know if they're going to pay or not. You hear all these horrible stories from your family, like. Especially in COVID. Yeah, especially in COVID. Yeah, and Maryland is not a COVID friendly state for landlords either. Mm, yeah you oh. you deal with this the the not only do you have to worry about people not paying now you have to worry about not being able to evict and then evictions not going through like what is the eviction process in uh in maryland right now i know in georgia it's it's so backed up that you now can evict but even still the eviction process and the courts are back like eight months Wow. Yeah. You know what? I'm lucky enough to not know what the <laughs> what the eviction <laughs> process is, but I do know that um, they were extending some things and uh, mm-hmm. you know, what? I should get up to date on that. So that's a good call. Yeah. It, it's good just to know. I mean, we, we actually had to do a couple of evictions. We processed a few evictions ourselves. So um, you know, that's why I know, and even, you know, working with other investors, uh, they they've kind of gave me their two cents and you know shared their hard stories with me as well. So it's definitely beneficial knowing and never need it, you know, and then needing it and not knowing, right? And having these false expectations on what the process looks like. Um, but uh, that's that's exciting. So you got your your first duplex, um, and I'm assuming that was like what six to eight months ago. Yeah, that was pretty recent. So May 2021, so about seven months ago. Yep. Nice. Congrats on that. And so uh, you, you mentioned um, you were to get the deal, you were nickel and diming. And you mentioned that obviously that's something that you don't want to do. What were like some of the things that you've learned? Like what were some of the mistakes that you've learned from besides that? Or what would you have done differently to to get the deal at the dollar amount that you wanted to get it for? Man, it's really hard because, um, you know, they were. It was funny that the seller was two people it was a wife and a husband Mm -hmm. and um you know the husband was real stern with me and the wife was exactly the opposite so Uh, it was really hard to go back and forth with them because they didn't really they weren't on a unified front either mm -hmm. so i would say hey i need i need some money to put a washer and dryer in and the wife would say all right and then you know the husband was like "Uh, i don't know about that you know and they would have like a little sidebar and this is like, we went through three different negotiations. So we mm. kept pushing it back. Um, I had a consultant on my side that uh, was a family friend that kind of helped push things through. So people would get offended because I was, you know, this is a property they have for 30 years. I think maybe 35 years. They had it since the 80s. So mm-hmm. um, they were, you know, more protective over it than just some tired landlord like that was the guy's house he grew up in and and things like that so you know that part was tough I definitely wouldn't keep asking them um you know to give me a thousand because this came up on the inspection report or give me a thousand because this came up like if you have the deal in your hands it's not going to matter in 30 years if you get a thousand dollars off right now it's not you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. uh that was a big big thing I learned for sure yeah, a thousand dollars definitely won't make or break a deal. Now, if you're if your positions are like ten to twenty thousand dollars off, then that's where you kind of have to figure out uh, the middle ground or how we can meet in the middle. Well, even I'm not sure if you read the book Never Split the Difference, but Chris Voss is like this FBI negotiator. 
like he says you should never meet in the middle like that is like negotiating like faux pas number one like never meet in the middle um so yeah i always love hearing like people's negotiation stories and i'm uh, I, I get what you went through a thousand percent because with, with wholesaling we deal with a lot of sellers all the time who are emotionally attached like They've had the property 30, 35, 50 years. The property may have been inherited to them, you know, from a a deceased parent or something like that. So we deal with people all the time that are like very emotionally attached to the property. Um, And there's so many different ways that you can use outside of price to kind of bring them back to reality. Um, My favorite way is always using a consensus, which is like using what other people are doing or what other homes are performing like to kind of just ground them and bring them back like, of course, finding comps, but more so, you know, uh, you know, using those comps in a timely manner, like comps that have sold the most recent over like comps that have sold two, three years ago. I actually had a guy today. I'm talking to him and I'm like, hey, uh, you know, it's, I want to understand where you got this price for because you're asking 650, but I only see homes that are going for about, you know, five, five fifteen. So that's a little bit aggressive. And this man was like trying to have me go back like seven years to his neighbor's <laughs> house <laughs> like his like my neighbor sold my house, their house for 650 and i'm like dude that was seven years ago <laughs> the, the neighborhood i found it only by because i clicked on it so when he told me it was next door i clicked on it and it's on the mls so i can see the transaction history so right. it was just my luck that the last time it was sold was the last history that was on it so i see like last sold 650 2013 i'm like what Dude, this is like mad long ago. I got mad houses that sold in <laughs> the last five months. So that's just a testament to like how um, irrational and how uh, unrealistic a lot of sellers can be just because they're emotionally attached to the property. But I am glad that you were able to, you know, find a price that made sense for you, made it a deal and made sense for them so that you were able to uh, acquire the property. So I just love to hear those stories, man, because it just kind of you know, brings back, you know, the funny stories that I just brought up. So um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, I I get that, you know, you have a lot of experience. It sounds like you're very entrepreneurial minded, Joe, from starting out, you know, doing the dog walking, you know, when you're younger. Um, But what do you say are some of the experiences that you've built up uh, and that kind of molded you into the investor that you are and the entrepreneur that you are today that's, you know, sitting and joining with us? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Pretty much like growing up, you know, my family always pushed that money is very important and things like that is very important to us. But I didn't really have any um, people in my family that own their own business, just people that mm-hmm. excelled well in their in their W-2s, which still means a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people in real estate, they'll come and like say bad things about W-2s. But I think it's still pretty respectable if you can work up the ladder and all. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my real estate journey, what has built a lot, a lot of character was actually a, a flip I took on right after that uh, closing of my house, right? So mm-hmm. I got the tenants in. It was all good. You know, I was not cash flowing. I was paying about $195 to live there, but was still pretty good, right? Um, so then August comes around, and I have been texting this guy since March over and over and over, like, hey, you know, I heard your house, like, I've heard you've got two mortgages. Let me take this problem off your hands. And, you know, I, I found that line works pretty well. Like, let me like you have a problem. Let me take that problem off your hands and make it my problem. And that's why I'm offering a discounted price, because 
this is just a problem for everybody right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, basically, this guy had two mortgages. Hitting them up, hitting them up. <clears throat> I met in the middle, <laughs> right? So I, <laughs> I, I didn't get a good price. At the time, I thought it was a good price because I did not understand rehab and all that. So pretty much, uh, I get this property under contract for 183, 183000 The ARV is two eighty. dollars I'm thinking, oh, my gosh like HGTV, right? I'm thinking, oh man, a hundred thousand dollars. Like I'm about to be rolling in it, man. I'm gonna buy like five Airbnbs after this. Um, so basically I have contractors come in and in the Maryland area, I'm in a very, um, not, not like an upscale area. I can't really find the word, right? It's a hot market. So yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna appreciate with, without a problem. Yeah, yeah, that and also there's a lot of competition um with contractors and all, but mm-hmm. also um you know, I guess there's a lot of money in people's pockets right now um just because of what's going on in the economy and all. So, you know, all these contractors can charge whatever they want, right? So, pretty much I'm having a couple contractors come, they're talking about $60,000 rehabs. I'm like, "Whoa." That's not my budget, okay? Mm-hmm. This is where it heats up, okay? I have um, a friend from Facebook that I had been chatting for like six months. I would send him things. I would have to get fixed on my rental and send him quotes from other contractors. And he would always say, nah, man, that's way too high. Don't go with that. And I'd be like, oh, this guy knows his stuff. So come to it. Um, I'm getting all these huge bids. I'm closing on the house the next day. I hit this guy up. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Cause at the time I don't have many investor friends. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he goes, Hey man, why don't you let me come down there? Uh, I'll live in the place and I'll fix it up. And how does $19,000 sound? I was like, in my head, I'm like, something's up, but I'm like, you know what? This is too good. Like I can't pass this up. So I tell him, Hey, come down. He shows up next day. I'm like, wow. To my surprise meet him in person, whatever, whatever. I looked up his business in Pennsylvania. He was licensed. So I'm like, okay. Uh, basically, you know, as time goes on, I would help him here and there just to learn some things. This mm-hmm. really built character too. I mean, being on your knees, cutting tile for like 10 hours, That there's nothing that builds more character than that. I feel like in flipping. Uh, so you know, I'm with this guy. He's yelling at me. He's pretty tough, right? But I'm like, okay, he, he kind of wants me to learn. Well, a lot of stuff starts going wrong in his life, in his personal life. He starts telling me about it. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'm really sorry that all happened. Like, you know, but keeping it for professional as well, right? Because I am mm-hmm. this man. He's my contractor, although I'm helping him. I figured out that really has to be... um <laughs> That really has to be specific and in the contract because that messed us up. So basically, mm-hmm. we agreed on a draw schedule where I would pay him through three draws. I had a hard money lender. Um, and basically, for anybody that doesn't know what a draw is, it's basically like they the hard money lender will send a appraiser down and see how much work you've done. So you have to front the money for the work uh, that has to be done. So I was doing credit card advances, anything I could to basically get the money to put into this rehab. And then hopefully the appraiser will say, yes, this is done. Go to the lender, get the money. Well, that's a Mm. much longer process than I think anybody would anticipate on their first flip. Right. So 
it would take about four or five weeks from saying what we've done, right? So I was running out of money. My credit line is filled up. You know, I've got nothing in my back pocket. I took out my 401k, everything to get this split, man. I put it all on the line. Mm-hmm. So I had more money. Um, this guy started saying, hey, man, when am I going to get paid, right? I said, hey, look, we made an agreement. That's how I was going to say. Well, we start working together. Tensions heat up. I actually take a trip. And I say, hey, man, take care of this for me. He said, I thought you were helping me. Like, what is all this? So that's where it went really, yeah. really long. So then he starts saying, hey, I'm going to undo all my work in here if you don't pay me 48000 right now. Whoa. I was like, where, where did you get this number? <laughs> He's like, oh, I talked to other contractors in the area. This is what they charge for my work. This is what I want. And that's what you're going to have to pay me or I'm not leaving and I'm undoing all the work. Because you remember, I let him stay in that property. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm on a trip freaking out, man. I've got one of my best friends and my girlfriend next to me. They're like, look, it's going to be OK. I'm like, like, they didn't know I have everything in this deal. <laughs> so I'm losing it. <clears throat> Actually, turn around to come home. Um, my family friend, this consultant says, look, you probably really needs money. Just give him like a thousand bucks. I'm like, okay. So uh, he actually gave him a thousand bucks on my behalf. Unbelievable guy. You know, I I won't say his Mm -hmm. name, but fantastic guy. Um, Yeah. Sells him down for a little bit. I get back to the house. He starts sending me all these threats, all this. I'm like, dude, I can't see this guy. Right. (laughs) I'm, I go to work. I work late that day. Right. I'm just stressed out. I don't know what's going on. My girlfriend calls me and says, hey, did you ever look this guy up? I'm like, no, oh, not man. really. She looks it up. This guy beat somebody almost to death, <laughs> like doing the same thing, working on somebody's house. It was nuts, man. I'm like freaking out. <laughs> I go to court. This stuff, and I'm saying all this detail because I think it's really important to understand, like, mm-hmm. you do come out on the other side and, and the level of character I built from this. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. So basically go to court, get a peace order. Um, it's really funny. The guy goes, the judge says, okay, well, you know, here it is. Um, go to the office, pick up the peace order, whatever. I said, okay, what's going to happen from here? The police are going to, are going to give this guy the peace order. He says, no, you are. Like, <laughs> this guy wants to kill me. Right. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? So I, uh, you know, that all happens. Um, there's a lot more to that story, but basically he ends up leaving my grandparents step in the best grandparents in the world, helped me finish the flip. Actually my whole family, uh, which I am like so blessed for, uh, stepped in, helped me out. I sold that flip, but, um, I tell you what, man, like that flip builds so much character and, and it gives me so much criteria now that I can say to other contractors, like, you know, this guy gave me all the red flags. So I can I can pretty much look at a contractor and say, hey, you know, am I going to hire this guy or no now? Which is really good. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And man, shout out to the support system to have your family come in and, you know, take a load off and really, you know, have your back in that moment uh, of darkness like that. That seemed like a dark moment for a minute, you know, especially being i'm thinking if i'm out on a trip right now my whole trip is blown at that point the trip is ruined we got to go back asap and then not being able to go back is like probably blowing me even more so i'm blown if i'm getting the news that you're getting 
But I do appreciate the story even more, Joe, because as a lot of people are probably listening, they're like, man, I probably don't want to go into real estate or I don't want to go into rentals. <laughs> but but just from that story and for you to still have it OK in the end, like the likelihood of you going through that again is what slim to none. Like you, you've you learned from that mistake. It's, it's slim to none because now I understand the red flags. I understand the things that are wrong with people that offer a third of the price that you're getting, like all these things, they seem so good to the first time investor. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, if I hadn't gone through that, I fear that like further down the line, I probably would have lost more money, you know, cause mm-hmm. I would gain more confidence in that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's like, you kind of go through these things for a reason and they happen for a reason for you to, you know, build that, that, that grit, build that muscle, uh, and, and kind of be able to grow from those experiences. So, you know, to anybody who's listening, like, don't let, you know, these types of experiences, you know, throw you off or deter you from ever making the chance in the first place, because chances are, you know, it may not even, you may not even go through anything remotely close, right? That's, that's like a one-off thing. And you, the fact that they're even here listening to this, like, well, I know my red flags. I know to avoid this <laughs> for myself. So it's like, that's why I appreciate you sharing it even more because pe- you're giving other people an opportunity to learn from that mistake as well. But even even in it, you know, there was a lot of good things to take away from that, Joe, like networking. You know, even if this guy did turn out to be the 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 contractor from hell in the long run, he still did in the beginning give you a lot of like information and advice as far as how you were vetting contractors in the beginning of the process. and. Even now, afterwards, you're learning like how to vet, you know, and take those red flags and, and have a vetting process for people that you, you know, start business relationships with in the future. Uh, and then lastly, of course, that support is a big thing as well. So it's just a whole lot of red flags, but it was uh, even more green flags that came out of the experience. And I'm glad you came out on, on top of it, man. So um, it sounds like with the with the duplex. Did that start off as a, a house hack for you? Were you like staying in one side and then renting out the other, or were you renting both units uh, while still staying um, elsewhere? Yeah, so pretty much I was, I'm still actually living there. Um, I'm not there right now, but I lived there. I rent out a bedroom in my unit. So mm-hmm. uh, I split the internet, I split the utilities with that person. And then there's a closed door and there's an upstairs, a whole separate unit with separate meters, uh, separate meters for anybody that no, doesn't know is meters that measures electricity and gas. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it was already set up for that. So I just put an oven in the top and then you can actually call it a second unit. If you don't have an oven, you cannot technically call that a uh, second unit for rent. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> I actually had a guy try to, or he was pimping out. He had a triplex and then he had a, um, he had a triplex and a mobile home and the mobile home was like 1600 square feet. And this guy told me that he had three units in the mobile home. And I'm like, what? No way. How do you have three units? He had split them up. They all had their own entrance, but he had split them up to where it was like each of them were a one, one, one was like 600 square feet. The other one was 600 square feet. And the other one was the difference. Uh, turns out that even in the triplex, the, now when you say that, it sounds like the triplex isn't even fully a triplex because he said one of the units or two of the units, one in the triplex and one in the mobile home, where he called them efficiency suites. 
which is a fancier word for a studio apartment. (laughs) And like they like there was essentially just a microwave and a refrigerator. It didn't say anything about a stove and it didn't even have like a full kitchen, like cabinetry and countertops. It was just more so like you have a refrigerator so your food doesn't spoil. You have a microwave so you can heat up your TV dinners, but that's about it. So like it's so many creative ways that people are, you know, you know, creating these rentals and like quote unquote house hacking. And, you know, it's good to know these things because at the end of the day, that does change the expectations you may have. You may call it three units, but, uh, or someone may call it three units. And as you're negotiating, if you didn't know that you're paying for a full triplex when really you got a duplex, you got a, a, a bigger duplex. So that changes everything as far as price uh, and how you should start off your negotiations and how you even communicate why this is the price, right? That's not even a full unit, my, my guy. So I can't pay yep. triplex prices for a duplex. That that's, doesn't that's make sense. Great, great point, man, because I tell you what, I, as a newbie investor, the more units, the better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So be sure to like look around. Do they even have space for an oven if you want to put in a kitchenette, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I know parts of Baltimore are like this, but for sure in Philly, I'm seeing more and more that people are converting because Philly is nothing but gridlock. There's nothing but row homes. Baltimore is nothing but row homes. So more and more people are converting these like three story homes into like three unit top bottom triplexes. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. I, I actually, um, one of my, one of my uh, frat brothers actually stays in, in a, in a unit like that. He's on the third floor. And I'm just like, yo, this is set up the same way my mom's house is set up. And I'm thinking about like if we could if I could get my mom to move down here, we converted her crib into a, one of those triplex units. So it's just all these things you got to think about. But I'm glad that you shared that stove because that's the first time that I heard that a stove is really what qualifies, um, you know, something as a unit. I've heard that you need a bedroom door and a window and a closet to qualify a bedroom. But yeah. that's the first time you hearing uh, the, the stove qualification. Uh, so shout out to you for sharing that. So uh, another weird one um, that I just found out about for Section mm-hmm. 8 homes in Maryland, you have to have natural light uh, coming in from somewhere to call it a bedroom. Because a lot of times people with Section 8, and this is not a bad thing at all, I think mm-hmm. it's actually fantastic. And um, one of the best people you can look at that does this is Joe Asamoah. Um, Mm -hmm. He he was on a bigger pockets podcast, but basically um, section eight, pretty much they will put out the government will put out how much they'll pay you for each number of bedrooms. Um, And they don't care how big the bedroom is. It just has to meet those requirements we were just discussing. Right. Mm -hmm. So people will put, you know, five bedrooms and like a 1700 square foot house. Um, the only thing was the last house I actually submitted an offer on like that. It didn't have natural light coming in the basement. So I could not call those bedrooms. So I, I actually, I still offered on it. Um, but you know, I shouldn't have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's a, that's a good point. And it, so it's even funny because sometimes you can even still have a window and not get natural light, especially, you know, depending on if it's in the basement. Cause like I've seen people have like, those basements that are kind of like lowered, but they're like in the back of the house to where you can kind of like go down in the backyard and things of that nature. And it will have a a window, 
but it will be like an alley. It will like be an alleyway that doesn't evolve, like doesn't allow any natural light into it, which still would technically disqualify it. If if I'm getting that right, that's because that that's tricky because it has a window. Yeah, but it's not getting any natural light. So that's where. What would you do in that situation? Are you filing for like a reconsideration or? I would, or what? yeah. I would definitely try and swindle them the way to say, hey, look, that's natural light. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think it's all up to the Section 8 inspector, right? So, uh, you know, based on however strict your county is, you know, I don't know the differences between Baltimore and Georgia, but um, or Atlanta. But um, yeah, you know, it's based on that inspector. Yeah, but I, I'm definitely with you as Section 8 is is, is still a good uh, I know a lot of investors that solely like to invest in Section 8 properties. Uh, me, I'm not married to Section 8 properties. I definitely would consider it because it's pretty much uh, guaranteed because it's coming from the government, especially if the government is paying 100 percent of the rent. Some Section 8 you have where the government only pays like 50 or 75 percent. But regardless, you still guarantee something so you don't have to worry about not getting any rent. But what you do have to worry about is, is the property being taken care of sometimes. And that's the only, that's kind of what kind of puts me one foot in and one foot out is you're in these areas where sometimes your property may not be taken care of, but at least you get in your, your rent. But what's yeah. good rent if you got to put up, fork out another 20000 every time you move out the tenants to fix it up and rehab it? Yeah, yeah. And this sounds bad, right? Like, oh, Section 8 tenants are going to mess your place up. But honestly, um. It's pretty cool. Dr. Joe, uh, Dr. Joe Asamoah is his Instagram name, but Joe Asamoah, mm-hmm. he makes a point that he treats his tenants like gold because mm-hmm. he wants them to treat his place like gold. Right. And while that may not always happen, he's doing extra. Right. He's sending uh, Mother's Day flowers to the tenant. I mean, he is doing everything in his power. He's keeping it clean. He's getting pest inspections. You know, he's staying up to date. He's getting his rental license, which holds him accountable if anything happens um, from their part and they want to take him to court. That just gives the tenants a a better feeling. You know, Christmas, New Year's, he's sending texts, little, little things that cost very little uh, go a long, long way with that stuff. And, um, you know, I do believe everybody has a little bit good in them. So I don't. I, I don't like to think, you know, if I go section eight, oh man, my place is probably going to get messed up, but I will not lie. That is my initial thought. <laughs> I won't lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, and I mean, I had the same thoughts. So um, I want to backtrack a little bit too, Joe, because one thing you mentioned earlier on in our conversation was when you first got started, well, at least when you first uh, started with bigger pockets and listening to those guys. Uh, one thing that you did was put focus on learning something new every single day. And you like made it that focus. And we actually just had an episode a couple of weeks ago on, you know, applying focus and being able to achieve while in work overload and, you know, having your mind on so many other things. What were some methods that worked for you as far as like limiting distractions and being able to solely, you know, say, hey, this is what I'm going to focus on today. And this is what I'm going to focus on tomorrow and avoid asking yourself that question. like what else could I be doing right now? Yeah. Cause that's yeah. tricky for a lot of people. I was going to say that was a main struggle of mine. Um, until I started writing down every single question. Cause I'm listening to these podcasts every day, which are triggering a lot of questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I know this is not like good to advocate, but when I was driving, right. Cause I, I would listen to it on my commute to work. I'll just pull out my phone 
and take little notes. I would just take like one word, two word notes, like seller financing. What's that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Subletting. What's that? And I would make sure to come home and at least get the definition down for those things. And of course, like, you know, you go on Investopedia, those definitions are hard to understand at first, (laughs) but um, you know, I would make sure I would write down my questions. And that is so big because once you write it down, it's almost like your mind holds yourself accountable. Like you just wrote that down. Now you gotta, you gotta figure out what the answer to that is, at least with, with my mind. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. And I do, I do, I definitely write everything down. I even have now a journal that I started keeping on my side every single day. Like I travel everywhere with this journal because it's my place where I'm writing daily to do's. I'm writing like notes, like experiences that I'm going through my thoughts, how I'm feeling. I'm writing down like little trainings, like conversations that I've had, all types of stuff I'm writing in this journal. So I make sure I keep it on deck every everywhere I go. And let's just say while while you drive, let's just say that you are using the, the voice, the voice memo feature to, to write down your questions. <laughs> we'll just say that. But um, how did you. So in everything, of course, you have a lot of questions. Uh, you we backtracking a little bit more before you got started, before you uh, acquired your first deal. How did you find your niche? How did you figure out like, hey, I want to start off doing flips or I want to start off with rentals. I want to make rentals, you know, the 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 lane that I step in or I want to do wholesaling. Like how how did you find out which niche was going to be the best strategy for you to start off in? Oh, man. Well, that's a great question. First of all, like kudos to you. <laughs> um, finding your niche is super important that I've, now that I've learned, um, I'm actually I will be completely honest. I'm still in the process of finding my niche. How I found the first thing that I was going to do, though, is just get my own house and house hack. Um, I got that from Felipe Mejia. I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. him. He used to be on the Bigger Pockets podcast, a real estate rookie show. So um, he would always talk about house hacking, house hacking, live there. It's easy. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy to everybody. But um, I felt like that was a really good way to ease myself in. Uh, You get used to managing tenants, um, you know, pretty much writing those leases, um, just dealing with the day to day, um, collecting rent, of course, the best one. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a a great way to to get yourself Mm -hmm. in there. And also uh, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad has a heavy influence on me. One of the things said in there is just start small, start for experience. You know what I mean? So that's what I really went for. Yeah, that's a big point. I, I feel like nowadays with um, this, this this age of information and technology that we have to our disposal, a lot of people forget to do things for experience. And we always we now do things for instant gratification. We see it, we want it and we want it now. So we do it expecting immediate results. And we don't necessarily do things for the experience to learn and say, OK, this is where I messed up. This is what I can do in the future. And if I heard correctly in the beginning, when you mentioned uh, when you acquired the property, like you, 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 you may not be cash or you may have not may not have been cash flowing at first, but you were like paying like one hundred and thirty four dollars. Right. And so it was like your living expenses were like one hundred and thirty four dollars. Is that right? Yeah. One hundred ninety five. But same same difference. You know what I mean? Same, same difference. And with whole, well, I mean, with house hacking, that's like you, you said something It's not for everyone. You're right. It's like not everyone is going to be able to house hack the same way, I will say. But to be able to look, knock my low, my living expenses from 
paying rent 14, 16, depending on where you at, $1,800 a month to $194 a month, right? I'm going to find a way to make house hacking work for me. And there's so many different strategies. Like you can take it the route where, you know, if you're single, you may want to go the route of like renting by room, you know, just buy one house and renting out the rooms. Or if, you know, you have a family, you know, going the duplex route, staying in one side or side by side or top bottom, it really doesn't matter. And then renting out the other side, or if you could get a triplex or quadruplex, that's just more, that's more opportunities for you to decrease that 195 to even, even more. Yeah. And you know what? I do want to say something though, because you said top bottom doesn't matter. And I feel you, I know what you're saying, but Mm -hmm. from being a bottom unit guy, man, like the steps above you when it's It's like six in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. And and I rent to a family up there and it's not their fault. I have like commercial carpet up there, super thin. I mean, it's my fault, right? So mm-hmm. like it's it's just it's it's loud, man. So like if you do I, I was actually told this by an investor friend. He told me, make sure you're on the top. But I knew <laughs> I wanted to be in the bottom. It was a nicer unit. I was like, you know what, this is my house, whatever. And uh, yeah, I do regret that. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Thing. That's good advice. I, and I appreciate, I appreciate that disclaimer because that is important. You know, when I was saying it's not important as far as like the cash flow, like in the, what, what it's going to do to your pockets financially, but considering those things, yes, when it comes down to you thinking about what's important to you, like, do I want the nicer unit? Do I want more peace and quiet? Uh, you know, do I want to not be disturbed as often? You, these are all things you definitely want to consider, right? Especially if it's, top bottom even you know side by side you know thinking about what you mentioned as far as it individually metered or is is, is the entire building is it one meter because that's important too because you can have tenants that could be way using way more water than you are and you're splitting that cost with them so definitely definitely want to consider individually metered units as well uh, what are some other things that most people uh may overlook that you would say that they should consider man parking (laughs) parking Mm. you know i went in um this is the same guy that helped me on my flip with my consultant and um we're going in and he's like joe this is a good place but there is no parking and that will be a problem forever and i looked at him and i'm like why are you talking about parking right now like (laughs) you found this great deal i found a duplex like there's not many duplexes where i live so this was really like gold to me and uh parking has been uh just a real challenge um you know i'm running to a family above i have um a single guy you know running in my unit and then i rent the other unit and i have my girl that wants to come over and she drives over right so Mm -hmm. um i lucked out i was able to strike a deal because there's always a way i just was saying to make it a lot easier on the listeners you know always look for parking but i was able to strike a deal with a doctor across my street actually. And he just said, you know, Hey, you can have three spots and it'll be $500 a year. And I didn't even negotiate. Cause I was so desperate. I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like I had to take it. So yeah. I mean, $500 a year ain't, ain't too bad. When you consider the convenience of it, it's not too bad. Yeah. And um, it, it does have, um, it had a driveway and we tried, this is a good tip too. Like very overlooked, but if you ever think you're about to stack cars with your roommate, like park one in front of the other. And then like, you know, just tell your roommate, Hey man, I got to go to the store. 
that works for like a week. <laughs> that that would not it. work, man. People like you just end up pissing each other off, man. It stinks. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like there's nothing worse than like going out to the store and then coming all the way back and then forgetting something. And it's like you literally are now making decisions off of you not wanting to inconvenience somebody. Yeah. The, oh, that's the worst. <clears throat> yeah. So it's like you end up regretting like a lot of things like damn, should have been hard and like I shouldn't have forgot this or I shouldn't have forgot that. I should have did this differently. And you, that's that's a great point. So that's a great point. Um, definitely. So let's talk about mindset. But we are on the million dollar mind, right? Let's talk about some mindset tips or just some mindset and behaviors in general that, you know, people should start to adopt just to be prepared to be in a position to start investing in real estate. Yeah, yeah, totally. So mindset is, um, I think it's the most important thing. And and it sounds corny and like, you know, everybody says it, but having the mindset that you are an investor, you actually are an investor. Once you buy a property and you house hack, that's it. You turn into an investor. Don't let anybody dissuade you from your dream because once you let other people in, it's you're going to end up like everybody else. Do you want to end up working a job the rest of your life, right? You always have to ask yourself that. You always have to ask yourself you know, what are you doing this for? Um, personally, I'm doing this for to have more time with my family, girlfriend, um, you know, my family going through a tough time right now. And, uh, you know, I would love to be around more, but I do have this job, you know, and and it's actually given me a lot more hustle recently. Um, I've been submitting offers like boom, 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 because I need cash flow to get that financial freedom and have that time. But Mindset is so important. You have to remind yourself almost every day, I would say, why are you doing this? Because, I mean, everybody around you most likely is not going to be doing this. And they're going to tell you a million reasons why they're in the right and you're in the wrong. So, you know, you have to stay strong. And it's, it's very tough, too, because when you're starting out, you don't have those investor friends. Um, and that just makes you like question it even more. But you know, you, you got to stick to it because it's, it's real. You know what I mean? And it's coming. It's just going to take some time. You got to stick to it. And, um, I was, I remember growing up, uh, I seen this post, uh, well, not necessarily growing up. I would say probably when I got out of high school and I'm transitioning from high school to college, I've seen this post on Facebook that has always been in the back of my mind. And it was this nice little portrait of, um, a bunch of people kind of just like prying at this guy's eye, right? And and he had this pencil where he was the only one that was able to actually draw inside of the eye. So the message was, is you can't be mad at other people for not seeing the vision that was gifted to you, right? They're your eyes. You, you were gifted the vision. So it's like, you either have to do one of two things. You either have to not listen to the negative feedback, or you have to do a better job of being able to uh, paint a better picture to the people that you really want the support of, um, because that is tough. It's, you know, especially when you're just now getting started and you don't have the investor friends or the uh, the support that you're looking for. It, it can get a little bit discouraging sometimes of like always having to help people understand why it is that you're doing what you're doing, and. We have this big thing with like the 90 day rule. You may not even reap the benefits for a good 90 days minimum. 
So to everybody else, it just looks like you're doing a whole lot of nothing. You're wasting a whole lot of money. Right. You know, you're doing a whole lot of things that doesn't make sense. And, you know, when that 90 days come or whenever the time comes where you start to reap the benefits, they're not going to go back and think about what they said. They're not going to retract their statements. They're just going to be like, okay, like it's not, it's not <laughs> going to dawn them. So you got to have that why, like you said, you got to remember why it is that this is important to you and, you know, why it's worth you know, the good feedback and why it's worth the bad feedback, because at the end of the day, you're going to get both. Uh, I think sometimes we have this, uh, this unrealistic expectation that when we have these really good ideas, we think that everybody that we love and care about is going to say it's, uh, it's also going to think it's a good idea, but it's just not the case because not everybody is meant to be a real estate investor. Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody's meant to have a podcast. It's like, not everybody is meant to do the things that you're doing. Right, so right. And here's the other gotta, thing. Mm-hmm. Like you and I, we put in work to get this mindset. Like when you're telling other people your vision, like I no lie, I'm telling one of my close friends my vision. And I went on like like a big rant. Like I I'm so sorry. I usually go on these rants, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll be like talking about real estate, all the stuff I'm going to do. And they're just like, do you really think you can do that? Like, do you think that's really possible? The nerve. What, what, like, oh man, I get so mad, right? But then at the end of the day, I'm like, look, um, they have not done the research. They have not looked. But I think the biggest thing is nobody sees the numbers that you're running, like, and the confidence that you're building when you're running those numbers, analyzing those properties. That's where this mindset comes from, is knowing mm-hmm. the data and knowing that it's going to work if you just trust yourself. Cause you know, like, you know, the numbers are good. You know, it's there, but uh, it's, it's really, really hard when, um, you know, people, they're not going to believe in you, man. They're just not because they don't see that vision, like you're saying, and, and it's not their fault. They just did not do the work because they don't want to, you know what I mean? You can't force them to. So. Right. And, and the, the biggest thing was the re like what you said, the research and the numbers, you're the one that's actually doing the research and doing the numbers. And I've actually had, I've had, you know, you probably had the same thing. Multiple people probably say, hey, that doesn't make sense. That's not going to work. Why You always think, you think that this is going to work. You think that you have it all figured out. And it's like, it's not that I think I have it all figured out. It's just right now, as you mentioned, the research, we're not on the same thinking right now because you haven't read the same books that I'm reading. You haven't done the same research. You haven't put the time in to look at the right comps. You don't see the numbers. So it's like, it's easy to kind of speculate from afar than to say, okay, well, let me put myself in your shoes for three months. Let me go read all the books that you've read and then come back and see if I have the same opinion. Nobody's about to do that. Nobody is about to do that. But you know what? Um, And I think this is a really, really underrated part of, um, you know, investor experience when when you think investor experience when i think investor experience at least i'm thinking oh you know negotiating um you know buying properties financing talking with contractors nowhere in there do they talk about underwriting and running the numbers and understanding the area and like you know sometimes i guess sometimes people mention market research but those are really the biggest things that give you the most edge and give you the mm-hmm. mindset that okay, I know this is going to work. You know what I mean? You can't negotiate if you don't have market research. Like I tell my students all the time, like we put the most focus on market analysis and just understanding 
what the hell is going on in these neighborhoods. Because if you don't know what's going on, it's just like you don't have a negotiation. You just have a bunch of numbers that you're just throwing out, hoping something stick. It's like yeah. the spaghetti, like spaghetti noodles. You're not yeah. really negotiating if you don't understand the market and you don't understand what's going on. Because as soon as it's like at the end of the day, your position is always going to be on price. But right. it, once you understand markets and, you know, you have an understanding of like comps and, and the numbers, your negotiations don't always have to be price focused. It could just be, you know, uh, based off of these homes have fully renovated kitchens and bathrooms. This home does not. These homes have basements. This home has a crawl space. So it's like now we don't have to start off our negotiations on, well, I'll give you 350. No, I want 355. It's like you get to say, hey, 350, because I'm looking at these properties that have full basements and this only has a crawl space. So I don't really think that it's necessary for me to be able to, it's not even possible or feasible for like, it's just a huge difference. So back to what you're saying, uh, with that analysis, you even have companies that are like, the reason why it's so important, you have companies like hedge funds, um, uh, institutional buyers and banks that literally pay people a salary to underwrite deals for them. So if, right. if it's a full salary, that tell, that's telling you right there that this is something that you should put focus on. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I completely agree. And, you know, it's crazy because, I mean, Kai, when you're wholesaling, you're offering 65 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar, right, for these houses? Most like, of the times. And depending on the market, sometimes like in Atlanta right now, bro, it's like it's hard to come across a deal at 70 percent. We're looking at like 75, 80 percent just because right. of the, 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 the demand right now. But once things kind of slow down, yeah, it's like 65, 70, 70%. But it's a discounted price is my point, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you come to me with a discounted price, you better be able to tell me why my house, my house that I own and love and I put work into is worth a discounted price. Because if you just come at me with a price point, are you kidding me? I'll hang up on you. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. got to tell me that, look, you got a crawl space. This person got a basement. You know, this person's got a garage you have a bigger basement, you know what I mean? That type of thing. So. Yeah. And you, you, you proved a very good point. The one thing that I, that always kind of helped me out and help people understand that is just by asking a question, like, are you willing to put $30,000 into your property to get what everybody else is selling their properties for? And most of the times people are like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to put 30,000 into my property. I don't, I don't have the money to put any more renovations. I already renovated the property. <laughs> so it's right. like, I don't have it. But, but um, don't even mention the money, right? Like what, what, well, no, I mean, do you, right? But um, mm -hmm. <laughs> what I usually mention is the time I say, okay, like, you time. know, whatever, it's going to take you 10, 20,000. This is how I got my flip deal. Mm -hmm. I said, it's probably, I said, how do you plan to do that for 10 to 20,000? He said, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. This guy was a surgeon. I'm like, <laughs> so you've got two houses, you've got three kids, you're a surgeon and you're going to go do all this work yourself that's going to take you six months can you really handle six months with two mortgage payments right and you don't say it like that i'm just right. excited <laughs> but basically you, you just say you know hey this is going to take six months i can give you back your time and like and what's everybody working for retirement that's mm -hmm. your time so mm -hmm. when they hear that like oh my gosh wow that is a lot of time like People just looking at the numbers don't even take into account people's most precious asset is time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, six months, that even sounds like 
if you have the experience it, uh, being a surgeon that six months could be 12 13 14 months easily yeah, yeah i mean so, if, if you're a parent and a surgeon you're driving picking up three kids i actually know this family pretty well too and um you know that that's just that i mean and you're talking about finishing a basement doing all the carpet and paint you know that's that's a lot tiling floors yeah you never get around to that never mind mm-hmm. don't even put a time period just say <laughs> you're not gonna do it yeah you're not gonna do that and it, it's all about um it's all about really identifying the problem and making the problem a, a, a sore sore spot for the seller um so let's talk about goals too, because I'm sure that you have some very lofty goals coming up. And you know, the more you pick up real estate, the more your wheels are churning, and the more excited you get about you know doing even more. So, what is the process that you go through for setting new goals and creating some uh, like a game plan for attacking those goals? Yeah, so I have this to do list that I do every day. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's like it's so you know cliche, but it really works. It's I try and break my stuff up into 60 second tasks, which it gets to be a lot of writing, <laughs> but it's really, really worth it. Because if I write down something that's going to take me 30 minutes, like I will procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. I'm not going to do it. If I break it down to a 60 second task, like, for example, you say taking down my laundry, right? Um, or just like, you know, just write a time next to it, 30 seconds. And, and like that helps me so much to take action like immediately. Right. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing that has to wait. That's only a minute long. So if you mm-hmm. just write down a consecutive list of that, you'll reach your goal so much faster than you thought. So one of my goals that I wrote down at, when it was new year, me and my girl sat down, we kind of reevaluated our, our goals. And we said, I'm like, I'm getting an Airbnb by the end of February and it's creeping up there. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm doing everything I can, but you know, when I say submitting an offer that includes getting financing, you got to find the property, you got to run the numbers. So really, really breaking that down. I mean, doing the bigger pockets report, even that's like five minutes in itself, you know? So mm-hmm. like really breaking it down, finding the rent for the area, like, it goes so deep, but uh, it's it's really necessary in order to get yourself to do these things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and from from all these these things and these to dos that you give yourself, I'm assuming that not everyone, not every one of those to dos and these goals are going to be all peaches, right? So it's going to be some things that we don't want to do. So what about what about these journeys? What about in this journey that you're currently doing, or in these goals that you said? What don't you enjoy, but you feel is absolutely necessary? Uh, what don't I enjoy? I tell you what, um, I enjoy most, most of the process of real estate. I don't enjoy the busy work, getting all my paperwork together. That's the worst when lenders ask for all this paperwork, takes you hours to find stuff. I'm actually, I'll be honest, I'm not very organized. It's something I'm working on very hard, but Mm-hmm. They told me to find the lease agreements from last May. That took me an hour to get together. So, um, mm. you know, you, you had somebody sign in paper and usually I, I scan it, but I didn't have this one scanned on my phone. So I mm. had to go through, I went back to my mom's house. I went back to my rental property. I'm trying to find this stuff, but, um, yeah, paperwork. Whew, I hate that, <laughs> man. I would, um, 
I, I'm not sure where you usually store it on your phone, but I would definitely, you know, uh, advocate for use, utilizing Google Drive. I literally put everything on Google Drive from like service agreements to contracts. Everything is stored on Google Drive. And I had like, I like put everything in not just folders, but I have subfolders. I have folders for the folders. So I know exactly <laughs> where to find everything. So when, cause I've learned that from myself, I was trying to get some funding uh, last year. Uh, I think it was when they were doing the EIDLs for the, the COVID relief. And they were asking for, you know, all these things like tax returns. And I've never stored my tax returns. And I started doing it as soon as, as soon as that became a problem because I could not find it for the life of me. And actually, it actually cost me 25K because I could not find a document to save, to save my life. I just could not find it. Wow. So that, what exactly cost you 25K? Not having the right, the right forms that they needed. Because it was, uh, I was filing for a, um, uh, 501c3 so this is for one of my nonprofits, and they needed it wasn't just like a the standard tax return that you would file they needed like um like a 10 a 1040 um a nine uh, i forget the turn the the numbers but they needed like three tax returns that i would i just overlooked and just didn't think that i would need again and because i couldn't find them um and because i didn't uh, reach out to the right people at the right time uh, and the deadline. I missed the deadline and just missed out on an easy 25K that could have changed the game for a lot of things. So that was like the the fire that, you know, that was lit underneath my ass was like, yo, you got to be more organized. So that's where I got on Google Drive and that's where I'm kind of a little bit OCD now at this point. Yeah, but you know why that's good though? That saved you way more than 25K in the future. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you win some, you lose some. You, like you always going to. I say that, like I don't want to say it like as blatant as like money is fake, you know, because you can do a whole lot with money. Um, but what I've learned is, you know, when you lose money, you learn how to actually either not lose it again or make it substantial. Um, like you know how they say, if you once you become a millionaire, if you learn how to make a million, you can make it all over again. Right. If you if you lost a million, you know how to make the million back because you made it in the first place. So it's like Donald Trump then did it three, four or five times. He done went bankrupt <laughs> more times than I done. I, like I haven't even made a million yet. And this man went bankrupt more times than I have moved. <laughs> it's crazy. So, you know, it, it's it's all it's all about where your mind is at and having that silver lining and just not letting things, you know, defeat you and just saying, Hey, I can never do this again. Cause you can always do it again. You know, you can always do it again and you can learn from your mistakes. So, um, where, and what, where, cause we getting ready to wrap this up, Joe, and I appreciate your time and, you know, really having this, I love the organic conversation and I'm sure our millionaires are taking a lot, uh, a lot of sauce and a lot of game from, you know, your mistakes, your, your successes and everything. So, um, where, and what you do now, did, did you find your passion, you know, where, in the activities, to the successes, to the failures, to the blessings that you've might have been for families, you know, where did you find out of all of that your passion for for real estate, or your just your passion in general? Because it may not be as broad as real estate. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I definitely am passionate about spending time with my family. You know, whatever it may be, like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a Sunday night, like we're Italian, we have big Sunday night dinners. You know what I mean? So. It's like that little stuff and you know i'm passionate about playing basketball not not 
to be the best, but just to have fun and things like mm-hmm. that. But um, yeah, I developed a passion for real estate and passion is pretty interesting, right? Like passion is not, people think passion like, oh, you're born with it. Like passion is just, no, passion I've learned is something that you have to work for. It, it's not just like motivation because motivation goes away, right? Like passions, you like have to stick with it and work at it because you really have a goal in mind. So that um just getting through that rental getting through the flip you know that really gave me the drive and the passion for real estate i think that's where i found it um going through all that no you're you're right i definitely think that passion is something that you develop uh passion is not innate because of course nobody is passionate about the if, if somebody who's never heard about real estate right and they hear this for the first time and they're th- they're hearing about all the horror stories that we shared, but they also hearing about all the successes that you share and things like that. Just from this episode, they're not going to be passionate about real estate, but they might spend more time, you know, going on bigger pockets, researching and hearing people's stories and how they get to spend more time with their families and how they're able to retire family members and how they're able to travel more. Then people start to get a little bit more passionate about it. It, it develops over time. Um, and same thing with relationships. You know, you can be passionate about the relationships that you're in due time. These things develop. You don't just start off a relationship passionate uh, about, you know, each other. These things kind of develop. Um, and that's for business and personal relationships. Um, so switching gears uh, to get on the more lighter side of things, you know, as we starting to wrap things up, we are now at the segment that I like to call rapid fire. And this is brought to you by uh, Pod Deck. So I have a deck of cards here, Joe, that really can be anything. I have five random questions that have nothing to do with our conversation that we just had. Um, again, be brief, be brilliant, but most importantly, have fun. And, uh, you know, anything that you feel like is kind of making you like overthink it, we'll just go to the next one. It's no big deal. All right. All right. Sounds good, man. Julio. So this one is. Would you rather have unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos for life? Unlimited sushi all day, all day. Sushi salmon. Is where it's at. Oh yeah, the, the smoked salmon. No, or you, you know like? What? I like raw salmon. Like literally raw salmon is the best thing. Mm. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to try that. Well, I usually do the, the um, I usually do the Philadelphia roll with that smoked salmon and that cream cheese. Oh, I like, yeah, I like, yeah. I like that one. But sushi is definitely where it's at. I never feel fully satisfied, though, as far as, like, being full. I feel like it takes, like, three or four sushi rolls to where I've, like, find, like... Bro, yeah, you're I'm not good. eating enough, man. <laughs> you got. I go in, and they think, like, they always ask me how many chopsticks. I'd be like, <laughs> just one. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. got to get a lot, man. Now, I know you got to get a lot. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so going to, like, if you ever been to, like... For, for people who don't really eat sushi though like if you see it like in like kroger or you know the grocery store those little those little six to eight that doesn't do it for me that's not <laughs> it i need like three of those <laughs> <laughs> all right so what things do you do every day that you wish could be automated i think that's a good one. Oh man oh man oh you know what this is hard because i really want a va soon and i just i don't um I'm gonna have to go like, I guess my drive to work, like if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I really don't know. <laughs> so like hire a driver. I was thinking, bro, yes. I was thinking about that. Like, 
I, I had made a post. I was playing, but I was like low key serious. I was like, uh, this is when I kept seeing um, uh, Chevy Suburbans. And I was saying, I'm thinking about uh, buying a Suburban just to hire a driver. And I was playing, but I was like low key serious because just I was thinking about how much work, like how much, how many times that I had to like interrupt my, my, like my workflow and my focus because I had to like get in the car and like go somewhere and switch locations. If I could just have somebody just drive me there and I could just take my laptop with me and continue doing what I was doing, that would make things so much easier. But even to touch on uh, your first automation about hiring the VA, uh, I would definitely say is, you know, worth looking into. Uh, I have two VAs myself. <laughs> and it's like so crazy because like the the timing of this conversation, because I'm actually like dealing with like one of them not really performing. Oh. And I had them like, how, how long did I have this VA for? Maybe about four, I would say about six weeks. So imagine having a, a VA for six weeks and you're just paying them and they're not really performing. Uh, so that like, that was like a hurt piece, uh, a lesson that I learned. I just let them go, but it was like something that I like, I was like sulking a bit, but it's like, I don't want to sulk on it too much longer because again, back to like you thinking about what it's going to do in the long run. And again, that 90 day rule, you know, so it's just it's just funny because it's kind of a sensitive subject, but I just wanted to kind of share like that little bit because it is kind of sensitive. But uh, I would definitely say it's worth looking into. And, um, you know, I got scripts if you if you need some help and some resources to kind of make a make that vetting process easier for you. Definitely. I would you know. I would love that, man. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely, bro. So the third one is what's something that you've never been able to do well? Um. I I think I've never been able to deal with confrontation well, like in any really aspect, um, whether it's with, you know, one of my tenants or, you know, that that contractor from hell, <laughs> um, you know, that stuff is really tough for me. I grew up like in a nice family. I really have to deal with that all the time. So, you know, I don't know. It's just not in my blood, it's not in my DNA. So, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm the same way. And um, I'm slowly starting to learn ways that kind of make me a little bit more comfortable with that uncomfortableness of con- confrontation and, you know, setting it straight with people. And uh, I'm going to share this with you because I think it might help for you as well. Uh, and I actually just used this uh, for my first conversation with the VA and letting them know that they weren't doing well. And in the second conversation, when I actually had to end our, our relationship, but it's this, uh, this way of giving feedback and it's called tacos. And I got this from, uh, I believe it was Before Breakfast. It's a little podcast on iHeartRadio. But it stands for like thanks, acknowledge, cause, orient, and solution or a support. So like you always start off the, 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 the call or your, 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 your uh, exchange with, you know, thanking them for their time. Thanks for doing what they did or thank them for something that they did that helped you out earlier on. And then you, of course, go right into acknowledging uh, what we're here for. Um, so you acknowledge like some things that they've been doing right, some things that they've been doing wrong. You go into the orient where you like kind of let them know like this is what will continue or this is what will happen if this continues. And then, uh, no, that, that's the call. Acknowledge, cause. So yeah, the cause is more so like this is what's happening from whatever you acknowledge. Then the orient is like, this is what will happen if this continues. Like if we keep doing this much longer, this is what's going to happen. And then lastly, you go to the solution slash support, uh, walking through them with a solution and then kind of like offering any support that you can. But uh, that's just something that's been making these really hard pills to swallow a little bit easier 
uh, and it may it may help for you as well. Yeah, man, I really appreciate that. I definitely needed that, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what's the most awkward thing that happened to you on the that happens to you on a regular basis? Um, <laughs> probably asking people asking me all the damn time if I'm gonna get married to my girlfriend. Like, yes, but like, come on, like, why you gotta ask? <laughs> it's all the time. I mean, it's almost every day. I get somebody new. Like, hey, man, you gonna put a ring on it? Like, you know, I love her to death, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why that's such a prevalent question. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's just the weird ways that people behave, you know, like whenever you, because like, especially if you guys been together for a long time, soon you're going to like, I don't know if you, you might have already, you might graduate from the people asking when y'all going to get married to like, now your family's asking when y'all going to have kids. Like, oh, that, is, like, that even gets even more awkward. It's like, well, we ready? Oh. <laughs> like, stop asking. <laughs> All right. Last, last but not least, what is the dumbest way you've been injured? Oh my gosh, bro. I was playing basketball and like I was in 10th grade, a ball, like somebody like launches a ball down like full court. I'm running down. I'm like at the other three point line. I jump and I land and I tore my ACL. That was it. It was like uh, Adam Schefter trying to do the gritty. <laughs> freaking Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Damn. it's the stupidest way to get hurt. I didn't even do anything. So yeah man i mean this kind of even brought back some memories i think the dumbest way i've gotten injured uh i got stitches on my eyelid because i bumped heads with my sister and her barrette cut me we were in like in the playground and we were running around the playground the jungle gym and whatever and she like came around the corner and we bumped heads and literally her barrette just cut my eyelid like wide open where i had to get stitches that's probably like the dumbest way i could say <laughs> it's funny yeah, man. So, oh, you, you you spoke of basketball a couple of times, and I did. I forget to I forgot to mention, man. Whenever you find your ways down south to Atlanta, or if I find my way up up north, we definitely gonna have to jump on the court and, and, and hoof it up a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm man. down for I'm down for the hoop sesh. Yeah, let me take you up to my gym, man. Lifetime Athletic. I don't know if you know about it, but uh, it's the one like they have on IG when like you see all the pros playing the tan in- court. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you got like J.R. Smith and LeBron and Melo in there. Hoodie Melo was always up in there. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's the same line of gym that I go to. I got one in like Columbia, Maryland. Probably nobody knows it on this podcast, but yeah, man, come up, definitely come up, man. Or I like the South actually. I'll, I'll stop by there. Yeah, it's like so. It's like it's weird, man, because COVID kind of messed things up. Because down south, what I realized and what I don't like about the the hoop environment as opposed to up north is it's not as many gyms it's a lot more outdoor courts and i don't really like Uh, playing outdoors because it limits how often you can actually play like right now if it's raining or if it's wintertime and it's cold so that's why i don't like it we found a gym that we really like to go to we were going like every tuesday but with covid they actually turned it into like a test site so no bueno so yeah, yeah man, I, I'll probably we'll probably have better luck depending on what time of year it is hooping up north than than down here. Yeah. Um, what is so as we wrapping things up, Joe? Again, I appreciate your time, appreciate your you know your energy, appreciate the conversation. Uh, as we wrapping up this uh, this call, I, I do have a couple closing questions for you. And uh, the first one I like to ask is, you know, out of everything that you're doing, you know, you're doing a lot. You got a lot on your plate. You you weighing a lot of things. Uh, in what ways do you protect? Uh, your inner peace what time do you set aside you know to be able to protect 
you know, your mental health and, and your inner peace? Yeah, man. Um, I make sure to at least spend an hour um, either, you know, talking to my girl or hanging out with her every day just to make sure like everything's good, you know, like just check in with her, you know, um, she's in school getting her master's right now. We see each other during the weekend weekend, but it's just good to see her or, you know, like I'll drive over to her hood and uh, we'll go to the gym and then come back and just eat dinner. And, and that really that keeps me grounded. You know what I mean? And having mm-hmm. somebody to kind of check me when I'm getting a little too like visionary. She's like, hold on, just relax, man. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. No, that's definitely good. That's, that's amazing. It's definitely good to have a uh, partner that you can, you know, have those conversations with and kind of be, you know, not necessarily a, a therapist, but more so just to be like an extension of your, of your brain, you know, to just kind of like meditate and have those thoughts with. Um, so you, you walking down the street, or driving, whatever the case may be. And you look over and you actually see 18 year old Joe. What's some advice that you would give 18 year old self? Man, I'd be like, dang, man, you look good. <laughs> like, <laughs> 50 pounds ago. No, man, I would probably say, um, you know, start taking action a little bit sooner um, in the investing world, like in the real estate investing. Back then, I was real into stocks. Like, so I, I wish. I could have just said, hey, man, hop in, try and get your first loan, try and get your first house um, and good things will happen. You know, like I definitely would have made good things happen back then. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard so many people having their uh, their ways that might work for them or speculating what way may be best. Um, but it sounds like you might have took the second route over the first one I'm about to say. But some people say that it's they they rather invest in stocks and use that to invest in real estate. But then I also have a lot of people who say invest in real estate first and then use that to tap into stocks. Is that kind of the route that you are taking now? Cause it sounds like you had a little bit of experience in, in stocks prior. Yeah. So I did about six years of investing in um, like I was into risky small cap stocks, um, you know, stocks like Chipotle, match.com. I kind of progressed into wanting cash flow. And uh, I, I started investing in dividend stocks. And then I said, all right, where's the real cash flow at? It's in real estate. So that's that's kind of the route I went. But I'm not against, um, you know, investing in like small cap stocks that could blow up. Mm-hmm. I think that's always cool and fun. So mm-hmm. got it. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool that you that you have that experience doing both. It's definitely uh, cool. And it says a lot about um, your journey and where, where you decide to prioritize that time. Uh, so, yeah, now, Joe, I want to, you know, give you the space and, and give you the time to plug yourself in. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us about any projects that you have coming up, some things that you're really excited about. Now's the time and the space to do so. Yeah, man. So excited about so many things. Um, building out the brand Vivo Joe LLC. So I named it Vivo Joe because Vivo Joe kind of stands for like being alive, you know, living your life freely through real estate, um, giving other people opportunities to pay off their groceries for the month through real estate or, you know, take care of their car insurance payment through real estate, you know, little things like that really speak to people. So uh, really trying to build my brand new merch coming out, um, you know, t-shirts, sweatshirts, all that soon. Um, you can find me at, at stout property on IG. It's probably where I do the best. Um, I'm on Facebook and real estate rookie Facebook group. Um, they're great, bigger pockets. I would suggest that for everybody listening, 100%. If you're investing in 
if you're interested in real estate, you must join that. You must like a hundred percent. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for now. You can find me on, on Facebook and IG for the most part. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Joe, for joining us. And as always, I got to thank our millionaires for, you know, being a part of the show, super thankful to the engagement that you guys have shown week in and week out. Uh, and thanks in advance for becoming the change agents that you're bound to become, especially as you apply some of the principles that Joe dropped, dropped on us today. Definitely some gems. Uh, and if you're interested in investing in real estate, because this was a super helpful podcast and episode as far as, you know, where to get started, how to get started. But if you have little time or money to fully jump in, you know, we did just launch our side hustle accelerator and it is a 12 week course with a done for you experience to help you make huge profits in real estate transactions without taking ownership of the property to learn more on how you can close your first 15 K deal in 90 days, visit www.kaispeaks.com slash Academy. With that being said, I'm your guy, Kai Speaks, and you just heard it from Joe Stout on creative ways to buy short-term real estate. Just remember to keep focus, build momentum, and drive results so you can live abundantly. Peace. Hey, guys. So thanks to you all, the Million Dollar Mind podcast has went global. The number one passion and attraction podcast in the world right now with huge support from the UK, Ireland, France, Belgium, Tanzania, and of course the United States. With this accomplishment, we are getting bigger and better than ever. Now that said, we are soon incorporating video production and YouTube platform to the show so you guys can witness the podcast in full effect. You can now become a supporter of the Million Dollar Mind podcast by visiting the link in the description below. Share your support with me via email and you will receive a free gift. Tis the season to give. Peace.